Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello friends, Sarah Jane here. It's that time of year again where we are gearing up for a break between season three and season four. With that in mind, I have compiled my favorite episodes from season three for you to check out right now. I know that doing a daily podcast means that episodes get lost in the mix sometimes, and I want to make sure some of these really get a chance to shine. So I am entering into the holiday season with so much gratitude for all of you. Thank you so much for being here. And if you are looking for real-time content, I'll still be posting a new episode every Monday through the month of December, walking through, reflecting on the year, and planning for 2023. Enjoy today's episode. Today we are speaking with Susan Piver, the New York Times bestselling author of many books, including the award-winning How Not to Be Afraid of Your Own Life, The Wisdom of a Broken Heart, Start Here Now, An Open-Hearted Guide to the Path and Practice of Meditation, and The Four Noble Truths of Love, Buddhist Wisdom for Modern Relationships. Piver has been a practicing Buddhist since 1993 and graduated from a Buddhist seminary in 2004. She's an internationally acclaimed meditation teacher known for her ability to translate ancient practices into modern life. Her work has been featured on The Oprah Show, Today, CNN, and in The New York Times, Wall Street Journal, as well as others. In 2013, she launched the Open Heart Project, the largest virtual mindfulness community in the world with 20,000 members. Susan, welcome to the show. Hi, Sarah Jane. So glad to be here. I am so excited to have you. I cannot wait to talk about your book. But first, let's hear your rosebud and thorn. What's something good that's going on in your life, something you're looking forward to, something not going so well? Excellent. Um, well, start with a thorn. Get that out of the way. Um, mm-hmm. It's very hot on planet Earth. <laughs> in every way. <laughs> and that cause a cause for concern. Cause for concern. So, um I guess then the rosebud will have to be, I'm so privileged to have air conditioning. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, not to mention live indoors and have food and, Mm. you know, so gratitude for the fortune of life right now. Mm, That's so good. I think the heat thing is so intense because it's like, not only am I experiencing it physically, I'm also experiencing it mentally. Like my brain's like, no, no, no. Um, Mm. And then like that personal responsibility piece comes in. It's like, oh, it's a lot. It creates a domino of concern. It's not Mm -hmm. just that it's hot out. So I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. Um, I love being grateful for air conditioning too, because I um, like, I just feel like these little things that we forget to notice even like, I'm like, I just walk in and my house is cold. But having that awareness of like, this is not the experience for everybody. This hasn't always been the experience for me. It's mm-hmm. so, such a good reminder to just, if you're in air conditioning right now, listening to this, like what a gift. Fully agreed. Fully mm. agreed. 
So Susan, can you tell me a little bit about your Enneagram journey? How did you find it? How did you discover your type and how did you decide to start working with it? Yeah, it's been a long time. I've been studying the Enneagram as long as I've been studying Buddhism. I've been a Buddhist for 30 years and have been studying the Enneagram for about that long too. And I honestly can't remember how I encountered it. Somebody must have said something, but I do remember reading Helen Palmer's book, The Enneagram. Mm-hmm. which was, to me, remains a classic. And thank you, Helen, for your amazing work. And I just remember feeling, and I, I totally imagine you can relate, as can many others, just thinking, what? Why did <laughs> no one say this before? Mm-hmm. Suddenly there's a lens for looking at the world and human beings and myself that doesn't say this is good and this is bad, but just says this is how it is. And mm-hmm. it just opened up door after door of perception and fascination. And and it took me a long time. I'd love to know how it went for you. For you. Mm-hmm. It took me a really long time to figure out my type, in part because I'm the counter type of four. I'm a self-preservation yeah. four. And I just also didn't realize, I guess I thought I was an eight, then I thought I was a six, because I knew I was afraid and I knew I was a I could be angry. I don't know. I just mm-hmm. didn't realize that what I was calling intuition, the Enneagram called feelings. Mm. So, so I just skipped four. No tragedy, no romance. I just didn't relate with any of those things until I read Self-Preservation 4. And I realized how critical the subtypes are to finding your own type and how, for me, Self-preservation four was like ding, 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 ding. Every single bell went off. I'm like, how did the Enneagram eavesdrop on my whole life? I don't know, but here it is (laughs) on paper. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Did, yeah, it was the same for me. Like I, well, I read, I took an online quiz and I got two and I was like, I am so helpful. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> just like, I love this. Like you're gonna, my, talking to my like then partner, now husband. I was like, you're going to have to really focus on like me not over-sacrificing. And he was like, I really just don't think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I read, um, I actually, he typed as a seven and I read the seven description and I was like, I feel like someone has followed me around and written mm. out my journal. Right. And I don't know how they did this. Like, how did they get into my brain? But I interpreted sevens as being like really easygoing, really go with the flow, like more like a nine kind of, mm-hmm. just like a happier nine. And I am not go with the flow, easygoing. Mm-hmm. Like I want what I want and I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to force that through. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, so I, I really questioned it. I'm probably for two years. And I explored every type. I loved the idea of being a nine. I loved the idea of being a two. Like all of these like much more like lovely sounding ones to me, they sounded really like lovely and gentle. And I was like, I want to be that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. But I came back to seven and I was a counter type as well. Oh, is that the social seven? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we really pride ourselves on being like moderate and being able to do without. And so I, a lot of the seven stereotypes I thought didn't fit me. And I was like, also one of my main interests and joys is work. And so I thought sevens like to play, but for me, having a project is play. I get it. I totally get it. It is. And it took me a couple of years too. So people are like, I don't know. Yeah. Be patient. Be patient. It can be, it's a journey and it's a fun journey. Just, I would say to this Mm -hmm. 
realization. So you found Buddhism and you found the Enneagram around the same time. And now you said 20 years later, 30 years later? 30, almost 30. 30 years later, you are putting this book out into the world. Can you tell us a little bit about your book and how you came to bring these two things together? Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you. It's called The Buddhist Enneagram, Nine Paths to Warriorship. And I never really thought to write a book about Buddhism and the Enneagram. I just knew I loved Buddhism and the Enneagram. But in the Buddhist path, there is tremendous emphasis put on, among many other things, compassion and fierce presence, like being awake, staying with. And I just came to realize over the years that my biggest support for being compassionate, not just towards others, but towards myself, and for finding a way to remain open, even when things were very painful, was the Enneagram. It supported my Buddhist practice perhaps more than any anything, any other teaching, any other practice. So I started sharing it a little bit with friends and then students. And over time, I just came to think, this I, I can't keep this to myself, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> this is so helpful. I really, really want to share it and explore it. Yeah. Well, and I love that because so much of what Buddhism brings to the table, the Enneagram needs, mm. you know, like when we think about growing through the Enneagram, it's sometimes a little hard to describe because it's like noticing and awareness and being present and being able to recognize those patterns. You're so right. I never thought of it that way. I, I never thought... I thought of it in the other direction, that Buddhism needs the Enneagram, but I never thought of it in the opposite way. And of course, you're absolutely right. And to the light of shine the light of awareness on how you are, not how you wish you were or think you mm. should be, is like the seed syllable of the whole journey, the whole metabolization process. And something very profound opens up when we rest with ourselves as we are including what we like and what we don't like, that does not arise when we're constantly, quote, working on ourselves. Mm. Can we talk a little bit more about that? Because I am passionate about humans not being projects. <laughs> like we are not. Yeah. Can we talk a little more about that? Oh, with pleasure. With pleasure. Yeah. So an example from Buddhism about what it means to relax with your painful feelings, let's say, the things you find difficult about yourself. In the Tibetan Buddhist view, the view I was trained in, every so-called afflictive emotion is afflictive, but it also masks a form of wisdom. So not because it has a lesson to teach us or because it's a secretly telling you something that you really want to hear. It's that the core energy, Let's we can use anger for an example, the core energy of perhaps the most afflictive emotion, anger, is also the core energy of a profound wisdom, in this case called mirror-like wisdom, like clarity. Be when you're angry, you can't also be sleepy. You're awake. There's a very focused one-pointedness in your mind that when we attach a story to it, which the story may be extremely valuable and relevant and true, it becomes onerous. But when we release the anger, the feeling from the story, just for a moment, what we're left with is this reservoir of wakefulness that brooks no BS. It's mm. just clear. So in the Buddhist view, 
anger and clarity are on a spectrum. In the Enneagram view, as you know, gluttony and sobriety are on a spectrum. uh, Longing and or envy and equanimity are on a spectrum. They're not opposites. They're the same qualities looked through through different lenses. So I feel like the value there is holding what you find difficult until it releases its wisdom to you. Mm. Ooh, that, that like poked holes in my little seven heart. <laughs> Say more. <laughs> well, just, yeah, this like idea of, I think for so long, I'm so practical in the way that I've thought about growth, right? Like this sense of, okay, I create these little deadlines for myself and I'm, okay, if I have a negative emotion, I don't make decisions based off of trying to escape that negative emotion. I wait until I'm in a neutral place and I make that decision from that place, just very like strategic. Mm-hmm. And just that sense of presence with the emotion and just allowing it to be here and allowing it to have its wisdom and to... I think what you when you said like anger is all that you can when anger is here like anger is what's present and allowing that just like it's just so much simpler <laughs> than like overcomplicating and it's so much gentler on me as the recipient of the emotion who's so accustomed to experiencing that negative emotion and then jumping into action experiencing the emotion and staying in presence is so much gentler could not agree more. And in this sense, both Buddhism and the Enneagram, in this view that we're talking about, start from the opposite perspective of self-help. Mm-hmm. Self-help is there's something wrong. Let's fix it. Mm-hmm. And you know what? There's plenty wrong. I'd like to, let's fix it. Yeah, absolutely. But there are certain things that don't respond to that treatment. And mm-hmm. Especially, let's say, in the Enneagram, which is constantly trying to point you at your brilliance, your gifts. And the encouragement to start with the idea that actually there's nothing wrong with you. Everything to the contrary is a mark of confusion. And let's look at our innate worthiness and wholeness by accepting our wiring. And self-aggression that often comes with self-help, there's a problem with you, you need to fix it. The self-aggression almost never helps. I mean, sometimes we need to push ourselves, obviously. But when we use self-aggression to defeat self-aggression, can't you be nicer Mm -hmm. to yourself? Can't you like yourself? It doesn't work. But when we relax, when we make space, when we include what we don't like, along with, with what we do like and what we don't understand, a softening happens. And that softening is everything. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Because it's like, how how do we treat ourselves more kindly when we're focused on treating ourselves more kindly from with like the voice of someone who's telling us there's something wrong with us? Like, oh, treat yep. yourself more kindly. What's wrong with you? Why can't you treat yourself more kindly? It doesn't so right. inviting more kindness. I'm mad at you for being mean to yourself. Yeah. It's like being attached to non-attachment. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it just, no, let's try something else. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Oh, I love that. And I love when you said it's on a spectrum because I know for myself and I know for a lot of other people in my community, 
we've experienced this kind of whiplash of Enneagram work where first I was like, this is who I am. I know myself now. I finally figured it out. This explains everything. And this is just what it is. This is what I'm working with. And moving that to overcorrection to everything about being a seven felt wrong to me for a while. Like, Mm. oh, if I'm overly positive, then I'm failing. Or if I'm doing this to the extreme, or like if I'm, if I quit something that isn't working for me, then I've already, I've backslid, you know, this is like old Mm -hmm. Christian brain. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of like moving that to the concept of a spectrum of like kind of being on a continuum so much, again, it's just so much gentler. Can you talk to me a little bit more about the spectrum? Yeah, I'd be so happy to. Um, And it is gentler. It is gentler. So I'll use an example. I mean, I hope this helps. It's it's an example from being a four. So I was always hard on myself for not being a good friend. And I had a lot of longing and envy for people that I thought, oh, this is how to be a friend. And I've lost friends because I'm not going to call you up for a chat. And I don't want to just hang out. And there's something wrong with me. I should fix that because that's not what friends do. And it, I never could do it. And then I realized, mm-hmm. well, that's actually not the kind of friend I will ever be. For mm-hmm. whatever reason, good or bad, I'm going to leave the, the, good, the judgment part out. I'm not going to be around to chit-chat, generally speaking. But if you're being born or dying, call mm-hmm. me. Because I will be the best friend there can be. Because mm-hmm. I'm not going to, I mean, I'm going to be unhappy and uncomfortable and sad, but I will stand with you. So... That was a way of sort of looking, not exactly at the spectrum, but of a way of recontextualizing something I thought was wrong with me. And yeah, I would like to be a better friend in those ways, but there's a gift buried in there. And further, if you, uh, let's say you're a two and your passion is pride and your virtue is humility. Well, how can those things be on the same spectrum? You know, the pride of being needed and the ability of just being there when you're needed and when you're not. Well, when your attention is focused on whether you're needed or not, you are able to tell on the spot whether you are or you aren't. So you also have immediate access to humility, even though the default choice is always to think, well, if I'm not needed, I need to get needed or pretend I'm needed. But I'm also aware that in some cases I'm not. Because I have both of these, because this is my spectrum. So it's just like there is no such thing as dark unless there is light. There's literally no such thing. So it's the same with each journey. And why I called the, this book the nine, pa- nine Paths of Warriorship. Like how do you move in that spectrum, starting with the recognition that you are already there, basically. I hope that doesn't sound too woo-woo. No, it does not. Um And I mean, I'm, can we, I'm sorry, but like for those of us who are like, okay, what's that concept? Like we are already there starting from the concept that we're already there. Mm -hmm. What does that, can we break that open a little bit? Yeah. So I'm trying to think of which number to use for an example. Let's say seven. So I, because you, classic seven, I'm not saying you, but if this is good, I want more. And now more is good. I want more and more. When you stop that reflexive quest for more, you sort of see that you're starting from a state of balance, which could also be called sobriety. Mm -hmm. 
that is maybe a little frightening or a little unsatisfying or anxiety producing. So you layer on more to the natural state of sobriety. If the natural state wasn't sober, there would be no such thing as gluttony. So if you can sort of shift your focus from where you want to go to where you start, I sort of realize this may sound wacky. You see that you start already from you were completely rooted in sobriety. And then the journey for more starts. I love this so much because what I'm hearing and I'm kind of like visualizing it as like my efforting. It's like we're standing at the top of the mountain exactly where we're meant to be. And for whatever reason, I keep climbing down the mountain oh, yeah. through trying to not feel the fear that I feel by being at the peak. Like I'm at this peak. Everything is good. Everything is safe. Everything's okay. But I'm – that's scary for mm. some reason because at one point it wasn't safe or it wasn't okay. And so then I just keep making it harder for myself by like sliding down the mountain and then trying to get back up the mountain through so much effort when it's actually like it could be so much simpler of just like releasing and accepting yes. and being. Yeah. And yes. Oh, yeah. I'm totally uh, vibing with what you're saying. And the things that we want the most, and I feel very confident saying this about all of us, we want love, we want insight, we want creative self-expression, we want engagement with what really matters. Like, this is what we really want. And all of these things have one thing in common, which is they are things that we receive. They're not things we can go out and get. Like you can make this decision, oh, I'm going to get love, but it doesn't work that way. But when you relax and make space, same for creativity, it doesn't happen by going do creativity now. It happens <laughs> by opening up a space and just relaxing with what is just as you describe, uncomfortable, and then tracking what starts to happen on good days. So to cultivate the space of receptivity is essential to make the journey from passion to virtue and then... It's not a linear journey. It just seems to both, it just, just seems to happen. It just seems to happen. Yeah, I'm so interested. Oh, go ahead. Oh, oh, oh. Um, I was going to use four as an example also, mm -hmm. like the virtuous equanimity. And I thought that meant being chill with whatever. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is cool. And so is that. And then I was despairing, like, well, that's never going to happen because it's <laughs> <laughs> just never going to happen because life and also because four. And the equanimity, however, for four or for anyone, one could say, is not in trying to convert all experience to an equal tone of chill, but to ride everything fully is the true equanimity. Riding pain, riding joy, riding boredom, staying with what is. So as a four, fours aren't alone in this, of course, but there's an attunement to what is under the surface that is noticeable. And the equanimity isn't saying, well, I like this noticing and I don't like that noticing. It's saying, because I have this skill of feeling what is actually happening, I can ride it. And that is the equanimous piece, not the being all Zen. Does that make sense? Tell me the truth. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like you're, and I have married to a four and I'm thinking about mm -hmm. his like ability to be in all of the emotions and how sometimes like sticking into one of those for a for like longer on purpose mm -hmm. and like really enjoying that space. But like if he like a, it's almost like allowing it to ride naturally and allowing it to flow 
through allows him to be in all of it, but in a natural, uh, more easeful state. So, yeah. Um, and if you try to move to a different place, like I've been in this too long, someone told me I should not do it, I told myself I should not do it, well, that's not going to lead to equanimity. I mean, I think of it like surfing, which I've never done, so <laughs> grain of salt, but I imagine <laughs> that a surfer doesn't just get up on a board and go, this is it, now I'll just freeze, because you'll just mm -hmm. get knocked over. But if you meet this wave and this ebb and this flow and this this was bigger than I thought and this was smaller and you continually adjust your center of gravity around this moment, that's actually equanimity. So that's a great journey for humans, but for fours especially, you could say. I'm fascinated about the idea that we live in a capitalist society mm. where we striving is very comfortable. Like we've been trained to strive. We're supposed to strive. We're supposed to constantly be working harder, doing more, being better. And so this energy of like releasing and accepting and noticing is almost counterculture. Oh, you're to right. But we've been trained to do our entire lives. Mm -hmm. 100% agreed. And then, so say you may go, oh, yeah, that's true. I'm going to try to stop trying. Then <laughs> you're in Palookaville. You know, come on back. <laughs> it, it's so weird how these things go defeat themselves. Like we try to apply, you know, the same logic that created the problem to solving the problem. So there's just, and this is a very Buddhisty way of looking at it, there's just an endless letting go, endless letting go. And then the relaxation happens, not through feeling calm, but through noticing what is. And the great Zen priest and poet, John Tarrant Roshi, once said, and I love this so much, attention is the most basic form of love. Through it, we bless and are blessed. I know that's true because I read it in Oprah magazine a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> I tore it out and put it on my wall. Um, but it's true. It's if you just pay attention, not to change, not to apply an agenda, but to be with, that's mm -hmm. friendship. And the most basic form of love is just attending to, being aware of it. It sounds like, oh, that's way too simple. But that's actually all you need to do. Mm. This is so good. And I think it's good for all types, but just because I'm speaking from a head type perspective, mm -hmm. I am so used to trying to solve things mm -hmm. and to intellectualize them and to, to fix them. So having that space, just being reminded to like get out of my head mm -hmm. and be present mm -hmm. is such a good reminder. And I, I, I want to say like, okay, head types get this. And then I'm like, wait, man, body types need this and heart types need this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so we've covered the gamut. When you get say to yourself, get out of your head, that's your head saying, do that. <laughs> it, it was so weird how these things always backfire on themselves. But if instead, you could do that too. And maybe it works sometimes. But if instead you could say, Sarah Jane, what does it feel like to be in your head and not want mm -hmm. to be there? Start mm -hmm. there. So always want to start where you are. I mm -hmm. notice that I'm in my head and I wish it was different. Okay, let's stop there. What does that feel like? Let me be with this Sarah Jane. Let me be with the Sarah Jane that doesn't want it to be that way. Then a more loving atmosphere sort of envelops the transformational journey than don't be this way, be that way. Mm, I love that. Oh, I wish we could all oh, do it right away. I know. <laughs> so I would love to hear where can we find your book? 
where can people get their hands on it? Because I really do think that this is something we all need if we're on an Enneagram journey. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, you can buy it where books are sold, mostly online. Uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, independent bookstores. It's a print, ebook, audiobook. And for better or worse, the best place to buy it is online, although we and I'm self-publishing it. That's why I say this. Mm-hmm. Um, there also, we have good relationships with various independent stores, the tattered covers of the world and the Boulder bookstores and the Powell's of the world. So if once someone wants to go to a bookstore, yay, it, it, should, it will hopefully be in those kinds of stores as well as online. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Are you, anything lingering for you that you wish you could make sure we that gets heard before we move to rapid fire? No, I really just want to emphasize the point you kept emphasizing, which is gentleness and space are the quick path. And mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate you pointing that out in this conversation. Mm. I mean, I was just repeating back to you what I heard you say. So well, I'm repeating you. what you said. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are you ready for rapid fire? Let's do it. Okay. Dun, dun, dun. The first book that comes to mind. The Enneagram by Helen Palmer. Oh, yes. A favorite song. Uh, I, I actually tear up whenever I think about this song. Change is Gonna Come by Sam Cooke. Mm. Something you wish people knew about you. I'm tough. Mm. Your dream day, what are you doing? Oh, by myself, in my house, no plans reading, sleeping, dreaming, crying, laughing, having dinner with my husband. Oh, I love that. And that brings me to final meal. What are you eating? (gasps) Oh, this is so decadent. I am eating (laughs) crab eggs benedict with a leap ton of hollandaise sauce. (laughs) Yes. Oh, I love that answer. Um, Some food for thought, something you wish people would kind of walk away and think about today. It's totally good and important to love yourself truly. Mm. Where can we keep in touch? Where can we find you online? Where can we hang out with you on Mm. the internet? Uh, I'm on Instagram, susan.piper, and I have my website is openheartproject.com, which is my online mindfulness community. And if you just Google Susan Piper, it'll point you there too. Susan, thank you so much for joining us today. I will link all of those things in the show notes for y'all to get in touch as well as the book. And I just, I feel so grateful for this conversation. Thank you for taking the time. I feel grateful too. Thank you for making the time and I appreciate it a lot. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.